I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? But even on my heart. Well, welcome to Following the Fire. Happy to have everybody here on the podcast. Um, we are back from our two-week hiatus for Thanksgiving. Uh, happy to be back. Good to see you again, Nathan. Hey, hello, everyone. Good to see you, Steve. It's nice to have a break every once in a while. It is. We kind of didn't plan it; it just kind of worked out. Yeah. And like, I'm okay with it. Like the most breaks that I take, I didn't like read a bunch of books or catch up on anything. Yeah, the first thing I did was write a to-do list for the, for my vacation time, <laughs> <laughs> and I promptly did like one of the twelve things because I accidentally did. <laughs> yep. Yeah, on accident. That's funny. Yeah. I have a impact matrix. I believe we've spoken about yeah, that. But yeah, yeah, I have a bunch of two sticky notes on a window in my house uh, arranged by impact to my life and how easy they are. So I always do the top left one, which is high impact, low effort. I think uh, right now what it says is buy a pair of pants. Because I... <laughs> I have maybe 10 pairs of pants. Um, maybe seven of them are the exact same pair of pant pants. Really? Like, you know, I just look at the label on the back and order another one when I need it. But all 100% of my pairs of pants right now, I have a hole in the right knee. The right knee? Uh-huh. Okay. None of them have a hole in the left knee. They, they all have a hole in the right knee. You, you cross your left leg over your right, don't you? Oh, what? I just thought I had a more pointy, like a, a bone spur or something. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we do have an international audience, so we might want to refer to them as trousers. My trousers have uh, <laughs> are pre-worn more on the right than the left. Anyways, it doesn't matter in remote in a remote world because nobody sees no, my knees. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I, I recently bought, uh, last year I bought a pair of internet pants. Um, <laughs> just meaning from, from the internet <laughs> instead of okay. actually going to a store to try them on. Worked great. The Worn way I year. interpreted internet pants is like stretchy sweatpants. <laughs> well, I, they're actually stretchy jeans. <laughs> ah, nice. So they're COVID internet trousers. <laughs> yeah, they I are. Say. COVID adjustable. COVID adjustable. I made the switch to the stretchy fabric a few years ago, and life is much yeah. better. I highly recommend it. Oh yeah, it's much better. So I've I've got a. I was laughing earlier. So occasionally I will stumble onto mm, like Christian Reddit. I would not recommend mm. it, but um, there's some interesting things that come up. I'll save some for uh, maybe future discussions, but. One of them, just because I got a crack out of this, it was a Church of Christ thing. And it was like, how do you meet decent Christians in this day and age? And the, all of the suggestions were like really sketchy sounding websites. And I couldn't tell no. if it was people trolling 
because uh, so it was like, you know, Church of Christ meets Church of Christ or like Hot Church of Christ, you know, singles or whatever. And uh, Hot Church. Uh, it, it was just like, that cannot be real. And so sanctified Church of Christ singles is what you're looking yeah, for. Mutual edification uh, dot com. Um, but I, <laughs> I was scared to like, I was like, man, I, I just want to see so bad what this looks like. But I was scared to type it in because I was sure this is just like direct line to a virus. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> one of them apparently is real. It looks real sketchy. It's probably real and also stealing information. It seems to have like seven people total. And it like one of my favorites, what uh, usernames was Proverbs 31 man. <laughs> so that's the... <laughs> <laughs> and uh is this is a dating site it's a, it's yeah it's a how do, it's specifically a church of christ dating site is it church of christ singles.com yeah it is yeah okay th- that was developed by a good friend of mine when i was in college <laughs> no way it's real really it's real yeah okay he 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 was frustrated because he couldn't find any other church of christ girls and so he built it so he could find some and then he found his wife well, there you married. go. Now I feel bad. Six kids. Do they listen? I don't <laughs> doubt it. Uh, yeah. Just it, it looks like a, a like a like a year two thousand seven website though. It's, it, it hasn't it does. touched in a long time. Yeah, I'm, that makes me feel better because I I was like, this has got to be like Russia, just stealing people's information. I mean, hey, if you're looking for love and you have a very narrow, yeah, you know band of acceptance go for it that's what technology is good at doing yeah my buddy jim who made this is super super good guy uh i assume it looks like it's still active so he must still be doing it i don't know that's funny what are the chances that the probably really high that the degree of separation from what i assume is like a fake dating site is just like one of your friend's projects (laughs) Now I feel bad for making fun of it. <laughs> you shouldn't. It's fine. We'll forgive you. Also, you can choose relationship. I'm going to keep making fun of it a little bit more. You can choose relationship type. And from the ones I can see, the choices are serious, marriage, or friends. Huh. Which I like feel like is... That you're searching for? Yeah, that's like what you're looking for. I don't know why you would choose serious and not marriage. Ooh. I feel like those are not mutually. You could have a serious friendship and marriage with all the same person. Anyway, so there's that. If you need to find uh, Proverbs 31, man is just looking for friends, though. So, oh, yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, uh, he lives in Florida, though. I don't know about that. Florida Proverbs 31, man. <laughs> no, nothing personal, Carlin, if you're listening. But you know, Florida. <laughs> Florida has a like a strong Church of Christ presence, but it does. They have their own school that's like almost a separate, like it's separate from like the Abilene Christian, Oklahoma Christian. Uh, is a Florida college, right? That's what it's called. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's like super fundamentalist, super conservative. I think. I had some friends who've gone there. I feel like the the um, 
there's just not a whole lot of interaction. There's like Northern Christian Church of Christians, Southern Church of Christians, but then Florida is like an island that developed kind of independently, yeah. it seems like. Well, it makes sense. Try to, try to avoid Florida when you can. So tonight I have a, I've got a kind of a crossover between psychology, which is kind of one of my hobbies, and faith, which is kind of one of my hobbies. Yeah, does it sound? Are <laughs> you allowed to call it that? You know what? I just one of my callings. Callings, maybe that's yeah. it. I feel like beekeeping and brewing are callings of mine, and faith. Calling, they're not. So they're not. They're not hobbies. They're, they're not hobbies. No. Yeah, it's what I was meant nice. to do. Well, if you're making honey or or maybe uh, mead, right? Yep. Honey combines all of them. I make it uh, some honey and water, and just let it sit there. Yep. Yeah. Possibly nice. the original alcohol, because it's one of the yeah. few that you can make on accident, and it still tastes good. There's a really good documentary. I think I saw it on Amazon Prime, called "How Beer Saved the World." It's been a while and a while. It's really good talking about how because of beer and like the accidental possible formation of grains and sitting in water for a long time, mm-hmm. how that allowed people to live because for so long they had just every, all the water was nasty once we started living near each other. But you brew beer and water is suddenly not nasty. I have even heard it argued that beer and bread either existed at this like came about at the same time or that beer could have even been first yeah i heard that, that crazy yeah. yeah and the folks who built the pyramids were paid in beer this is like liquid bread yeah they, they just found like the 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 inscriptions and stuff like this dude gets a a barrel of ale for his work this week or whatever wow that's so interesting that i'm really i like reading about historical uh, beers and there's a um a book i have about like belgian you know belgian like working farm beers mm-hmm. and uh yeah you, if you were a worker you would get your beer for the day and it was your lunch it, it, it was your hydration and your yep. lunch um and kind of part of your wages so cool. how do we get it i don't, I don't know psychology and faith <clears throat> so, right 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 um so psychology and faith so we know, and I'll, I'll get into what it is in a minute, but let me set the stage, if, All right. if, you, if you'll allow me. Paint us a picture. You may not realize this, uh, Nathan, but the world is currently clearly falling apart. Yeah, also my, my pants on the right side. And, <laughs> and our country on the right side. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was really good. Uh, but so the world, yes. The world is falling apart. Um the country, especially on the right. Uh, the United States especially is falling apart. Uh, and I've seen a lot of videos recently from around the world of people like basically saying, hey, America, are you okay? You guys doing all right? You know? Uh, not not just from the politics, but just you know, the, the coronavirus stuff and just, all, just everything. Everything's falling apart. Have you, have you heard of Jordan Klepper? Is he a comedian? Yeah, he's he's a comedian. He's like on the Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and he yeah, he, yeah. he goes. He's known for kind of going around to like Trump rallies and stuff. 
and interviewing people. It's kind of like a Jay Leno when he used to do like the people on the street stuff. Yeah. Yep. And I've, I've watched him, you know, interview people at Trump rallies who are so clearly going against their own interests and who contradict themselves and who appear to be just going along blindly with whatever Trump and his opinions say. And it's just, it's frustrating. But I mean, I see, I've seen my family members eating this kind of garbage and I have, I have a, a just sort of distant family member who's very anti-mask, anti-vax, and really in, into all the QAnon stuff. And I remember the day, the day before the insurrection at the Capitol, she posted on Facebook, um, the storm's coming tomorrow. I'm like, what? <laughs> and her entire family, kids and all, contracted COVID. And her husband was put in the hospital for several weeks, almost died. And she's still claiming that it's all false. It's like, it's made up. Right. And good, strong Christian people who I used to look up to are still buying it. Still claiming that the election was stolen and these sweet people are suddenly super xenophobic and hateful and violent and all this stuff. I mean, it, it's all de- it's too depressing. I could go on, but um, I mean, the level of insanity in the USA has spiked in the past five years. It seems. Because... Has it really? I mean, maybe we just know more about things and people are louder than they used to be. Yeah. But here's a question. Do these people think that they're doing the right thing? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, of course they do. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, very few people think that they're the bad guy. They think that they have figured it out and they're doing the right stuff. Are these people on the right, are they the only ones making illogical decisions? Nope. No. Of course they're not. Have you, Nathan, ever made an illogical decision? Yes. You want to go against your own interests? I'm known for that. That's one of my personality traits. Is it one of your hobbies? It's one of my callings. callings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's it's not just writers at the Capitol. I mean, we all do this. It's easy to be just throw stones at the folks who are currently in the spotlight for being blinded by whatever it is. But it kind of got me thinking, why are we doing this to ourselves? I mean, God gave us the gift of intellect and reasoning in order to figure this stuff out. I mean, I was I I grew up being taught to exalt and praise the values of logical thought and truth, and always think through things, pay attention to what's going on, and use your use your reasoning skills. But it it just doesn't happen. And the problem is not that we are necessarily deceived or that we are trying to do the wrong thing. Uh, I think the problem is that we're humans and our brains are lazy, just to put it bluntly. <laughs> but, but it's lazy in a good way, usually. <laughs> it usually helps us. Uh, so I, I manage a bunch of software engineers at work. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of my team leads often says that the best a uh, software engineer is a lazy one. Yeah, yeah, I've heard because that. If, because they, they tend to figure out the most efficient way of doing things so they can write the least amount of code, which ends up being better because less code equals less bugs and less problems and on and on. So our brains are kind of like that because they, they, come, they like to come up with shortcuts and ways of figuring out what's going on without having to think through the whole thing. So we, we develop these... Uh, there's, I mean, there's just so, informa- so much information to process in the world to make decisions. 
you'd kind of go crazy walking through the world, trying to process all of, all of it by piece by piece and noticing everything, remembering yeah. everything with yeah. equal importance. Right. And that's actually one of the theories of why, uh, what the, the frustrations of autism can be. And there's like my daughter's autistic. She's got some fascinating and amazing abilities, but a processing things is a struggle for her sometimes because people with autism tend to literally process everything equally. They hear everything, they see everything and they remember everything. Right. That's a heavy load on your brain. And so when the when their kids are young, they often just kind of shut down and they're nonverbal and things like that because they, they don't have this, their brains are just wired differently so they don't have the ability to filter like this. But neurotypical people tend to have this ability to filter and sometimes we filter so well, we screw things up, which is why it's good to keep some autistic people around you <laughs> to <laughs> help you realize when you're uh, filtering too much. Right. Um, and it's often referred to as pattern matching because uh, that's what it is. Our brains look for patterns everywhere we look. We're looking for a pattern. Yeah. And it makes like life easier and manageable and it can keep us alive. Like in the forest, back in the, the good old days when we were living in the forest, if you hear footfalls behind you that don't sound quite right, quite like a human, you turn around and you see four soft padded feet connected to a mountain lion. It's good that you saw that because you heard something that didn't fit the pattern. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they're wrong. The, our pattern matching is incorrect. We like back to the forest thing. I may be in the forest and I see a bush moving and I hear some sounds that are, that match the pattern perfectly for a deer. So you might shoot at it only to find that the movement was your buddy Daryl. And now Daryl can't sit on anything for a month. Right. So, the name for th these things in the psychology world is cognitive biases or, or logical fallacies. They're sometimes kind of both referred to. Logical fallacies is kind of technically a subset of cognitive biases, biases, but it's neither here nor there. So I'm, I'm, I know that we, we've talked about these a little bit in the past, and I'm sure mm -hmm. our listeners have heard about these to some extent. But they're basically pattern matching shortcuts that we use as filters throughout the day. Once again, sometimes helpful, but... Usually, the, if it's titled as a cognitive bias, it's usually something that's going to cause problems for you or often actually keep you away from the actual truth of what's going on. And they're usually so unconscious that we don't even notice them, but they're there nonetheless. Yeah, my, uh, I always think of like driving to work and you literally don't remember anything that happened on the way to work mm -hmm. or the one that's always so powerful to me is sitting in a room and then the air conditioning shuts off mm. and you, you only notice that it was on when it, when it changes, right. When the pattern changes, cause your, your brain decided that's not important anymore. Don't listen to that. I didn't make a decision to do that. Right. It's my brain being efficient and making some decisions that I don't know about. And so that applies then to, to, not just driving to work and or listening to, you know, a sound that's constant like a babbling brook near my house. It starts to apply to watching a television show or having a conversation. But at the same time, if you were if you were allergic to air conditioning, for example, you would notice if it's on because you would be tuned to listen to that thing because you know it's a thing that's an issue 
So you'd be gotcha. like you're, you'd be alert, right? Right. And so that's that's how our mind works. We we have this inter really fascinating way of having a hard time seeing things or understanding concepts that we don't have words for, or that we don't have a shoebox to put it in. Mm-hmm. And this one reason education is so important and why words really matter. I mean, sometimes you get into like these semantic discussions and people's like, ah, it's just semantics. Well, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes there's a reason there's a different word for the thing. And just a quick side note on this, that there have been several studies talking about how uh, investigating how language impacts the perception of reality. Have we talked about this? Uh, I don't think so, but I, this is a okay. fascinating topic to me. Like color perception. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going with this. So mm -hmm. there's like, like the Russian words for dark blue and light blue. Yeah, they're different. Um, yeah. So Russian has separate words for dark blue and light blue. Not So dark and light are modifiers on the word blue for us. Right. So if you show multiple shades of blue, we, we, we would, we'd say, oh, those are blue. Right. But a Russian person would have names for those different shades of blue, specific, just like we'd say blue or green. The test set up for the, been, this has been done several times, but probably the Russian and English because they're both really widely spoken languages. The, they set up the, the computer screen has like two colors of blue blocks on the bottom row, like one slightly lighter than the other one, and then a block above, and you're, you're supposed to pick left or right which one matches the block above. And so if you're a native English speaker, wow. they found that it's yeah. harder for you to discern what those colors, which one of those colors is the, the, the matching one. But if you are a Russian speaker, you're 10% faster, which is quite a bit, 10% faster at, at figuring out which one matches which blue, because your brain already has this separate track that's been worn down to say that is a light blue and that is a dark blue, even wow. if it's just barely different. And then also on the kind of on the other side, researchers worked with the Himba tribe in Namibia and in their language, there's no word for blue, but they have lots of words for green. And they gave what they did is they gave the, they show these tribe, these folks in the tribe, uh, like a bunch of squares of green and one of those squares was actually a, like a light blue. And they said, pick the, pick the one that's different. Pick the blue color. Some of them completely failed the task. Yeah. Some of them had were made, and very, so very few were actually successful. And like, I, I, I looked at, I'll put the link in the show notes, but I looked at this, this screen. It's like, well, that's obviously blue. <laughs> it's like right. Yeah. Clearly blue. But they, had a, they couldn't tell the difference. And then they did the same thing with, a bunch of squares of green, and one of those squares was a barely a shade off, just barely. And the folks in the in the Himba tribe were like, immediately they knew which one was different. Wow. But I'll get these Americans these squares. I I've I've looked at the stupid squares. <laughs> I don't know how long, and I swear they're all the same. <laughs> right. Yeah. I got my little digital uh, eyedropper tool, to, and the, the, there is one different. So that when you're when you're in it you don't notice what is happening to you that you are, you have a blindness to some area and you have a, a sensitivity to some area. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but you do, you know, it's right. And that can happen with color, but it can happen with like words that we talk about sickness with, or mm -hmm. what's our word for someone who's not from our country or, yeah, you know, 
Yeah, and and what it comes down to is if you have a name and a place in your brain to put that concept, then you un- you can understand it and you can see it whereas before you maybe weren't able to see it at all. And that's why when you get further and further into studies of a certain area a topic, whatever it happens to be, whether it's water resource management or computer design or whatever it is, the further you get into that topic, the more vocabulary you have to learn because there are these minor distinctions that matter, but huh. you don't like I see like people see, oh, that's a laptop. It's like there's a lot more to it than laptop. There's tons of di- differentiation between different kinds. Right. But if you don't know about it, it's going to be completely irrelevant to you and you won't even notice it. So if it's important to know that what these cognitive biases are, we, we should give them names so that we can see them. So we're going to look at a few cognitive biases um, because I, I feel it's important to know these because exactly because they can cause so many problems. And I think that it is the reason that so much of our country and the world is falling apart and not listening to science and not listening to what we know to be fact. They're just assuming that they know things. But I, I didn't want to look at these just in the in the sphere of left right politics. That's not, that's because that's not really we're not a politics podcast. But I want to look at these as far as how these play out in churches, hmm. and how these play out in the life of people who are deconstructing and rethinking their faith. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll go through these one at a time, and I have let me see one, two, three. We got ten. All right. So. I don't know how long they'll take, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just explain what each one is, and then after I just explain it, we can just talk about what what we we think what it is. And I've I've given them each um, humorous little names. All right, my attempt at humor, anyway. Unfortunately, Steve Martin is not always funny. Depends on which Steve Martin you're talking about. One of them is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> first one that we we've heard a lot about is the availability heuristic and once again heuristic is just a term meaning it's a mental shortcut so bias and i've renamed this one the it's availability heuristic or the i only watch one news channel bias okay and it, it what that is is relying on information that is easily available or easily remembered or common as a basis for your decisions and for your beliefs. In other words, the more you hear about a thing or the more you can remember a thing, the more prevalent you think that thing is. Like, I don't know anybody who's died of COVID, so it's no big deal. Right. Or the Broncos are the best football team in the world just because everybody <laughs> around me, that's, that's, yeah. all I, that's the only football team I see, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's the reason I'm a Rockies fan, right? Yeah. It's because that's the team that is in where I live. And then I'm trying to think about, I feel like like reading scripture or going to a sermon-based um, church, mm-hmm. often you're going to have one person who does a lot of the talking every yeah. week. So yeah. there's some availability there that is, what is that one person's perspective? Yeah. 
but also if you've heard a story in Sunday school and then you approach that story as an adult, are you going to come with what you already think the story is about? Yeah. And kind of miss the details. Or if you, you know, back to the church thing, if you are in a small church of, of a certain variety and that's the only kind of church you ever hear about, do you think that that's the only church that exists or the only church that matters? Mm. Or if you only hear about, well, so um, one of the reasons there's a lot of people still complaining about the stealing of the election is they say, I don't know anybody who voted for Biden. Therefore, nobody voted for Biden. Therefore, it's been stolen. Because I remember I saw one gal uh, saying in a video how you know you can drive from, she mentioned, mentioned these two spots in, in Alabama, I think it was. She's like, I could drive for 500 miles in Alabama and never see a Biden sign ever. All Trump signs. So all of Alabama thinks that everybody voted for Trump. Right. So, I mean, that's the, the, like the political side of things a little bit, but um, the same happens with churches. I wonder if that'll, that will happen as well in your socioeconomic rung, where mm-hmm. your imagination for what rich and poor is or even mm-hmm. what someone's life is like, yeah. you'll, you'll put that, just what you're used to, on someone you see walking down the street. Not to mention thinking a continent away or mm. or wh- whatever that is where your your picture of the world becomes you just assume it's this everywhere it's whatever i'm doing kind mm. of some flavor of that is what everyone's doing yeah like in our neighborhood we have it it's i mean it's admittedly a very white like upper middle class neighborhood and the the Facebook page is like annoying and sad because there's a car parked outside that has rust on it. <laughs> should, should we call the police? <laughs> it's like, right. <laughs> just because everybody has nice cars around here doesn't mean that the rusty car means someone's trying to break into your house. I mean, yeah. All the people that I know that are nice have nice cars. I just saw a not nice car. Maybe they're not a nice person. Right. Exactly. So that, and I'm going to kind of, kind of go through these in a, in an order as far okay. as like how in, in, in like in my mind, as far as mentally how they kind of fit together. But that's kind of the the basic, like the lowest level heuristic is that the things around me equal that's normal world. Sure. That is what's true. That is all I have. And in a world where you are maybe a nomadic, in a nomadic tribe or something where you have very little exposure to anything and you've maybe traveled 20 miles away in, in your lifetime, then this helps you. This is good for you because then it, 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 you know what's truth, you know what's going on, you know what's fact. But in the world we have now where everything is just, it's just constant international everything all the time information, this is very dangerous one. Because huh. if you think that, that the information that I hear is the only truth, then it's going to lead you to make some strange and unfortunate choices, I think. And since these are, since these are like, they're actually brain, you know, you're, you talked with, with software engineers, uh, sometimes it's, it's a bug, but sometimes it's a feature and it's the same thing. Yeah. This is a bug and a feature. The feature mm-hmm. is it makes us 
it's helped us survive. It, it helps us go through life. And this isn't that some people are stupid. It's no, that the, no, the no, brain no. is doing what it's supposed to do. And this is one that, so that it's happening to you. Like it's currently happening to me. I do this. Mm-hmm. I rely on this. Yeah. But this is one that has an easy remedy, I think, because it's exposure to things that are unusual for you. Yeah. And that's why travel, travel, what it does is it bursts that bubble a little bit. And mm-hmm. now you have new things to add to your imperfect view of the world, but it's a bigger view. Right. And you go eat at a vegan restaurant sometime, or you go hang out at, you know, somewhere where you, you're going to run into people who think nothing like you or look nothing like you, yeah. or you even change the channel or you flip to the radio or you you read something that's a countermeasure to expand what your brain is relying on. It's, Absolutely. It's more dangerous the smaller your your kind of circle is, I think. Yeah. And so the the to combat this one you you're absolutely right. You got to broaden our 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 view of things, broaden our horizons, see different things, experience different things, but as we know, the problem with that is that can be uncomfortable because going. So most of these cognitive biases are in efforts to keep our cognitive dissonance at bay. Hmm. Yeah, there are ways to on the on the negative side. Um, when it's when it's a curse, <laughs> it's because if I if I think that what's around me is the, the only reality and truth, and nothing else behaves otherwise. If I find out that that's wrong, that's going to mess with my concept of reality, literally. And that is really uncomfortable. Right. So that tends to force you into the next cognitive bias, which is confirmation bias, which I've deemed the the Bible-only bias. Because yeah. for obvious reasons. So it's, it's the tendency to search for, interpret, focus on, and remember information in a way that confirms one's preconceptions or to only expose yourself to things that you know you will agree with and to run away from things that you know that you are afraid that you might not agree with. I do this with studies about coffee. <laughs> so yeah, find, find the ones that say that it's yeah. good, right? If, if I start scanning and it's like coffee may cause cancer, I'm like skip. Yeah. Coffee may reduce your, nah, I don't want to know. But then it's like, you should drink more coffee. I'm like, oh, I'm, let's see what this totally going to read that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Christine, I've been watching the Isaac Asimov series foundation. That's been on Apple TV recently. Interesting. And it's fascinating. It's found. It's fabulous. It's great. It's a great story. Is Isaac but, Asimov uh, alive? Oh no, no, no. Okay. Is it yeah. new? This is written. New? Is, it, foundation was written in 1951. It's like a series of books, I guess. Okay. But is it a new show based on... Yeah, they just okay. made a show about it and the like really like a space opera type thing, right? Cool. All right. But in it, there's a planet of people where one of the main characters is from and it is against the law to be curious about things. Okay. Like you'll be taught what you need to know. And if you're, if you're curious about what's different or what's out there, you are shunned from society or put in prison or kicked out of the group or whatever. That, that that that's like an entire society built around confirmation bias. Only no learning what we know is safe. Yeah. I only watch news that agrees with my preconceived notions. I only read 
biblical scholars who agree with my preconceived notions. So it's one thing because you can kind of um, do that on purpose a, a little yeah. bit. Someone could say, I only listen to Fox News. Mm-hmm. But the cognitive bias is, but when I do flip over to MSNBC, I've already kind of have told myself what I'm going to see there. And then so therefore, that's what I see. Or right. when I watch Fox News, I've already developed kind of a framework for what I believe happens on Fox News. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to turn it on and prove myself right. Exactly. And that's not something I did on, on purpose. That's that's happening because my my brain is trying to avoid that cognitive dissonance. Yeah, and that's why in, in the definition of the thing, interpret, the interpretation of the information is one of the items. Because it's not just it, it's not just avoiding it. Yeah, two people can look at the same exact facts or the same article or the same mm-hmm. yeah, you know news story, and if they both had strong, you know, mental maps of the world that are very different, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily going to suddenly agree on just the information in the article. Right. Yep. And we kind of feel what we do see, we kind of filter like, what do I already believe? Um, does this new idea or piece of information confirm what I already think? Does it fit in the frame of already constructed? And if it does, I can accept it. If I not, I'm going to ignore it and pretend it's wrong or doesn't exist. Right. And there's a great comic I'll stick in the show notes as well um, by the comic writers, chainsawsuit.com. <laughs> sounds right. anyway. That sounds way more dangerous than churchofchristsingles.com. <laughs> I haven't gone to the website, so I can't vouch for what's there. <laughs> uh, but this guy's sitting in front of his computer, and he says, I've heard the rhetoric from both sides. Time to do some of my own research on the real truth. And it shows the Google screen, and he, the first link says, literally the first link that agrees with what, with what you already believe, and he clicks on it, and he goes, jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Nailed it. The first yeah. thing that agrees with what I already believe. I've done if, my research. <laughs> I've done this before where I'm Googling something and I know that I'm right about it. And the first 10 links disagree with me. And so I oh, just yeah. alter my search terms. I'm like, oh, my bad. <laughs> what I meant was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I tell myself, well, I know what they're going to say. So I don't need to click on that link. Right. Yeah. And this, I mean, the, this is so common in the Christian world. Well, in any, any world, really. But, I mean, we're talking about Christian world right here. But especially, this is what comes to a lot of the biblical stuff that I've been wrestling with and struggling with lately. As far as, I've known that a lot of this critical scholarship stuff, like we were talking about with Trevor, I've, I know that, I've known that that's been around forever. Yeah. And I've heard Pete Enns in, his, uh, in the uh, Bible for Normal People podcast. He he said in his I think he said in the most recent episode how when he went off to seminary, multiple people told him, "Be careful what you learn, so you don't lose your faith. Make sure they don't teach you something that's wrong." Implying, everything that you know now is right, and it is the only right. Mm. Be careful what you learn, and be careful what you read. Be careful what you put into your brain, because that might mess you up. And I've known that a lot of this stuff exists, but I've purposely avoided it. I've got, there's a pretty famous book called The Five Gospels. It's basically this group called The Jesus Project, I think it was called. 
they got together and sorted through the four gospels or and well they included the the gospel of Barnabas I believe Thomas no gospel of Thomas so the four gospels were we have in the gospel of Thomas as well and they to figure out what Jesus actually said what what of the red what we call, what we would call the red words okay which red words are actually red which are kind of pink cuz maybe he said it which ones are gray cuz eh, I don't think so and which one should be black because he definitely didn't say that. And I, I haven't read it yet, but it's it's been on my, sh- my shelf for decades now, <laughs> at least twenty five years, and I haven't touched it because I've been afraid of what I might learn. And now that I'm learning all this stuff, I'm like, oh, maybe we should pull that out and see what it has to say. Not that it's always right, but I don't know what's in there, and it, we're just so good at that. I've had a similar feeling, but it's where I will read something and I either have my guard up yeah. and my suspicion is high or I'm kind of uh, allowing myself to be vulnerable and be like entrust myself to the book I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it actually bothers me because I sometimes it's like I've heard about someone's reputation, but that isn't my experience. Mm-hmm. So... All of a sudden, in my community, so and so is a bad is a bad guy is identified as not in, and there's a, maybe a book I was meaning to read, and all of a sudden, if I do get to it, I, I just read it suspiciously. Mm. And I, I've shared this before that this actually happened to me when I read the book with by Sky Jatani. Now one of my favorite books in retrospect, and one of my favorite Christian writers. But it took me most of the book. I, I was just so suspicious of this guy, probably because of a foreign sounding name, probably mm. because there were a few things that just, I thought, man, it, am I being tricked here? <laughs> yeah. Right. And a, a similar thing, I, I read uh, Preston Sprinkle recently, and I know of his reputation on one side of the, his argument. And, and so I, I have the same thing where I'm like, my guard was up even though I didn't really want it to be. I wanted to be approaching something without preconception, but I couldn't do it. I just couldn't be um mm, yeah. be objective because I w- I was already my brain was trying so hard to steer it to where I know it was supposed to go. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, we can try to pull ourselves out of these, but it's really hard. But at least noting that noticing that you're doing that is very valuable, I think. You know, with the confirmation bias thing, I think, once again, it's the solution, at least partially, comes down to exposing yourself to more stuff and partially seeing that, you know, it's not it's not necessarily going to destroy things because you know some information that you didn't know before. So confirmation bias is a pretty common one that we lean on heavily and we really should probably be careful when we do. Moving on to that is shared information bias. This is kind of a new one. I was researching some of these. I mean, there are, there are dozens and dozens of these things. So I had to pick and choose, but and there's more that are relevant. But so shared information is a bias, or the you all know this Bible story already bias is the tendency for group members, specifically group members, to spend much more time and energy discussing information that all the members are already familiar with instead 
of information that only some members are aware of or that is completely new to everybody. Okay, so if 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 we're in a group of people, we're going to be more likely to focus on something that we all share in common? Is that... That you all already know about? Or that you all already agree with? Interesting. Yeah, because it's comfortable. It, it brings... It's, com- it's comfort thing. So, like, I remember we had a Super Bowl party at our place about 10 years ago, and the folks who... Last time the Broncos were in the Super Bowl... And they like fumbled on the two yard line or whatever. Sad. It was so sad. And I'm not even a football fan. <laughs> it was <sad. laughs> But uh, we had the Super Bowl party here. And the people who had the, you know, the, the orange jerseys on, who were like the, the super fans, they were just sitting there discussing great plays in the past, great games in the past, great uh, players of the past. And not that it was about the past, but even some of the, in, in the current time. But they were all discussing things that everybody knew. No, there was no, no like, hey, did you hear about that thing? And they're like, no, I never heard about that. It's like, yeah, totally. And they're like trading the stories back and forth. Or at church, that's why I called it the, you all know this Bible story already by us, because at church we teach the same stuff over and over, over and over. And we, we even have altar calls, if you want to call them that, or like invitations to get to get baptized on evenings when literally everybody is a Christian and has been for 50 years. Sure. Yeah. And, and, but you still got to have a, the, the thing and, but it's, we end up talking about the stuff we're all comfortable with. And as soon as somebody brings in a new thing or a concept or an idea that's different, that's avoided. Not always necessarily shunned, but it's avoided and treated as, as possibly dangerous. Cause once again, it gets that discomfort in your, in your gut. So I, I'm very familiar with um, times when a group has done something and it impacts me. Like uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out how this is. This almost like a, a form of group think. Like it's it's not yeah, necessarily absolutely. that what our brains are trying to do is what's going to make this group, you know, w- what's going to be the least awkward, what's going to have me be accepted, and every person in the group is doing that, and then the net effect is you have a group that tends towards um, comfort. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, every almost every group tends towards comfort. It's just how groups go. Even, even groups who are very open and left-leaning, they derive comfort from being open and left-leaning. Right. Yeah. And I, I saw this recently. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like if it's the social part of us, like the studies where actors will pretend like nothing wrong is happening and one mm. person who's not in on on it, you know, is in a room that's on fire or something and everyone right. else pretends like it's fine and yeah. so they uh-huh. also that they so much so that you know they're they're ignoring what they what they see and experience. Yeah, that 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 is coming up in in 3. Okay, that's another okay, that's a different one. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so interesting. It's very they're, they're, there's a so they're very very similar though. This one is one I like. I didn't. I'm glad that I have a name for it now because now that that you said that, I'm thinking back. Like, yeah, when I hang out with these people, this is what we talk about. When I mm-hmm. hang out in a different group at subgroup at work, this is what I talk about. And then at church, 
nobody is saying the rules out loud, but somehow I know what they are. Mm -hmm. And I stay like in as close to the middle of the lines as possible. Yeah, and I think that that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with discussing things that you already agree about, agree on, or already know about, or information you are familiar with. I think that in the context of what what this podcast is all about, and what we're going through faithwise, you and I, is that the danger can be when we are in a church or in a group that only does that, and is afraid and wary of new information or new ways of looking at things. But when that happens, it becomes, it becomes an echo chamber. And it's a lowest common denominator thing on accident Mm -hmm. Uh, because the idea is some people in the group have, have different information or more information. But if you all share common information, that's what you're going to focus on. Yeah. Uh, Imagine the, the Bible study where, the person who has a completely different perspective because they grew up in a different place or they're a different kind of person or they studied something like that's what would be the most valuable to share with the group because mm-hmm. you learn something or you, yeah. you engage with something or you disagree about something. But what we tend, yeah, interesting shared information bias means we tend to share the thing that we all knew and we don't leave that room for what some of us didn't know. That's interesting. Right. And closely tied to that's the next one, the illusory truth effect, which which I really, this resonated with me. It's the tendency of people to identify a thing as true simply because they've heard it before, irrespective of its actual truthfulness. (laughs) That's a good one. So basically repetition equals truth. And so I, I, I called this one the, that's how I've always been taught fallacy. Because if, if I've always been taught that way, it therefore must be right. Or just, I've heard that once. I've heard that once. Yeah. Yeah. Or everybody's saying. This is the second time I heard it. Therefore, I'm, yeah. I believe it. I do that all the time. Yeah. But in a church context, you know, you hear enough times that you hear that you hear that something is supposed to be done a certain way. Enough times you think, well, that's, that's the only way to do it. That's true. Yeah. I think maybe what I've heard the most is some kind of statement about the lifestyle of, of not being a Christian. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Or, or like what, what the, the family who only comes to worship and doesn't come to class, what that means about them. Right. You don't have to hear that a hundred times. It doesn't have to be every Sunday or every year, but you hear something like, Oh, Etc. Etc. Maybe they deserved what happened to them. After all, they were, mm. you know, they were kind of on the uh, on shaky ground. It will quickly make you think that that's the the way the universe works. Yeah. One thing I heard a lot when I was younger uh, in high school, specifically, was what well, even now you like trans people and gay, LGBT people in general are sexual deviants who are basically pedophiles. Right. You hear that enough. You just think that's true. I mean, regardless of whether or not you think it's wrong, you think that they are, in addition to being wrong, they are also a pedophile. Or even like other people don't baptize or other people don't teach scripture or they don't, et cetera. You don't have to, you don't go check. Yeah. When, when we left 
the Church of Christ, somebody told me that, like, well, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to one of those mega churches where you get to believe wherever, whatever you want to believe? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's, that's not how mega churches work. <laughs> right. That's not how hardly any church works. <laughs> but once again, it's, it's the keeping yourself in a bubble and ignoring what's around you and um, sharing that information bias and it leads to leading to the illusory truth effect, which is all kind of part of the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is the, ne- which is the next one. Dunning-Kruger. This one is, we, I think I've mentioned this one before. It's, it could be summed up as we don't know how much we know because we don't know how much others know. In other words, in a given subject, incompetent people have a narrow view of the subject and therefore overestimate their own competency in comparison to others. Because they think that they know all there is to know because they don't know that there is much to know. <laughs> they don't know what they don't know. That's so, so they great. They think that they know it all. I want to know if Dunning was the one who didn't know anything or Kruger. <laughs> yeah, so the That's funny. so it's the conf- it's it's almost ignorance is bliss. It's like the confidence of someone who knows nothing is high. Right, but on the other side, people who are very competent have a they they have a much broader view of the subject and therefore they know how much they don't know. And so they underestimate themselves in comparison to other people. Wow. Even though they're the expert, they think that their knowledge is below average because their their sphere is other academics or whatever in that subject and they know how much is out there. But people who on the other side who don't know anything about it have a very narrow view and but they're like I know all of, all uh, I know about this thing is something I know therefore I've got it all and I am beyond anybody else in this subject or at least I'm above average that's so interesting and and this this is like it's like anti-vaxxer 101 right here if if I have done my own new research quote unquote and I have determined that I have I know what is in a vaccine therefore I know everything about how vaccines work and how they should be and should or shouldn't be applied to the to the world. Whereas a extreme expert in immunology and vir- virology or whatever um, would know that there's a lot they don't know. Yeah. So, and the I, I don't know if this is the Dunning Kruger effect, but the confident people you can be more confident and direct about a really clear black and white statement mm-hmm. that's short than you can something that is nuanced Mm. so it's easier to say the bible clearly says you should not fish and if the other one says well no that what it said is you should not fish on that side you should switch and fish on the other side it's like that's too long you're talking too much you just lost me because you can say that boldly and with confidence and as we increase in maturity in faith I think that often we, many, many subjects become more gray. There's more mm-hmm. room for, well, you yeah. know, it's not as, it's not as black and, even the Bible, I don't believe is that black and white or, yeah. you know, I I think you're, the black and white misses some of what's happening here. Let's look into it. That's like, you, you can't put that on a pamphlet. So the transmission of person A and the Dunning-Kruger effect to person B is is part of the problem. The person who is overestimating their ability doesn't need any help. And the person who is underestimating their ability isn't going to offer any help. 
Right. Yeah, and so I've, I've called this one the I've read the Bible fallacy. Like, I read the Bible once, or parts of it, so I, I know what it, what we should be doing, and I know how the I know how the world should work, and how Christianity should be, and I've never looked at it again, and I don't understand that the complexity in the mass world of scholarship and debate and confusion and and nuance that's out there, because I think I've got it figured all out, and then you have the people who are like, like Trevor, <laughs> who know lots more than we do. And he knows how much he doesn't know. And so he's going to be less forceful about saying something is right or wrong because he knows that we don't know necessarily right. sometimes. Yeah. And so that, that ties into what another fallacy they'll get to later about uh, like appealing to authority. But it's, it's those, it's those people, the da- the dangerous combination is people on who are, who know a little bit about a subject and think that they're the expert and turn that into a way to control people. Hmm. And I, I, actually, this is the next one. It's um, confidence bias. Yeah. And you can probably figure out what that is. confidence bias. So if you, if you are really tied up into the, the Dunning-Kruger effect and you think that you're an expert in the Bible or whatever, religion, society, then you're going to be very confident that you know that thing and that you are right. And people therefore are going to follow you because you're so confident. Yeah. This happened to me in uh, elementary school and it <laughs> Was so embarrassed. I can't remember if I've told the story about the guitar strings. Have I told you this? No. Oh, this was back in. Uh, I had been given a, I believe, a like a mini, you know, child sized guitar when I was in fourth or fifth grade, and I was learning how to play Tom Dooley on it with an A, and there's nice. maybe a C, you know. And man, did I think I was great, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, nailing this guitar stuff. Uh, went to like a school function that had a like teams that split up to do trivia. And one of the questions <laughs> was, how many strings does a guitar have? And I was like, everyone, hey, listen, I have a guitar. I've been playing <laughs> five, five fingers, five strings. No and way. I was so confident that I convinced all of the people, including the people who knew I was wrong, it was, it was like, go around the table. Everyone said six. I said five confidently. So that was what we all went with. Obviously, there are six strings on a guitar. And I I do that all the time. And so I've, I've slowly learned to see it. That, mm-hmm. And I'll even warn people. Now it applies in meetings usually at work. I'll say, by the way, sometimes my confidence is directly, <laughs> uh, indirectly proportional to how right I am. So... <laughs> That's so interesting. Great. See, but, but you notice that in yourself, and that's good. Yeah, but I don't. I, I know that I do it, but I don't know exactly when I do it. So oh, I just okay. know it could be lurking below the surface. Um, you know, just just about any time. Yeah. So the confidence bias is exactly that. We 
Well, it's it's like the other side of that. It's like the people who are around you who would have thrown themselves on their own spear because Nathan told me that five strings are on a guitar. Yeah. Because we're attracted to confidence regardless of its validity. And we prefer a bold lie to a hesitant truth. Huh. So if you are peak Dunning-Kruger effect and you <laughs> are sure that you know about five-string guitars and you start a movement around five-string guitars and you are so confident people are going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And because um, when we're in danger, you know, evolutionarily talking, speaking, or, or history speaking, what, whatever, when we're in danger, we instinctively look for the most confident person to tell us what to do. Huh. Because we assume they know what they're talking about. They must know. Yeah. yeah they must they're know. confident. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, go ahead. Our, our media that we consume on the left and the right and the middle is based a lot of it on listening to people who are very confident, say their side mm-hmm. very confidently with no room for um, for error. So you'll, right. especially like cable news, even if you have two people who disagree, they're, they're both going to disagree. The people who end up going on TV or talk radio are confident in their mm-hmm. positions. Yeah. And, and when we have politicians, they even need to remind themselves to be confident and to not waver. Or at least pretend. Yeah, it, it doesn't even have yeah. to. They could have a nuanced belief kind of under the surface, but it's going to be important for them to convey to the public a much more confident view. Mm-hmm. And so that's who we also tend to elect. Yeah. And something I just learned a few couple years ago is con artist is actually short for confidence artist. A confidence man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, confidence yeah. man. Because, I mean, we, we use that term con. We know exactly what that means. They're tricking you by being confident. Um, because so you don't even confident see Confident people. Yeah, confident yeah. people can seriously manipulate people, other people around them. This, when I, at, at the early pandemic, accidentally got into magic tricks somehow, what that is all about, most of the misdirection is learning how to almost believe that you're doing the thing that they think you're doing. Because, you know, most magic tricks are, I'm pretending to do a thing, uh, mm-hmm. but doing a different thing and surprising you at the end. Yeah, and we all know you're doing a thing. You think that I have a coin in this hand, and so when I wave it and then show you an empty uh, hand, you're surprised. I know that I'm doing a different thing. And so someone who's very good technically at at the movements, but bad at the confidence, isn't going to, like, I'm really good at, like, I, I did it, like. Oh, that was good. Whoa. Right? You're good. So I can do the technical thing, but what what a good magician does is they're like staring and, and they're yeah. everything all about else. The show. It's all about just everyone's going to believe right. What you want them to believe. Yeah. So that's a manipulation of a, a con man or a, or a magician or, or something is manipulating your, your, your desire to follow that confidence or even the best scam phone calls I get mm. are the ones that, just launch right into, oh, hey, oh, yeah, how's it going? Uh, so uh, I was just calling you back. It's like, oh, you were? Okay. Let's, like, yeah. I'll listen to those ones <laughs> that just launch in, like, yeah, it's like yeah. you just invited me into your home. 
Yeah, so I, I've called this one the I'm voting for Trump fallacy. <laughs> Man, that guy must know yeah. what he's doing because he has a lot right. of confidence. He's a, yeah. the most confident person a lot of confidence. In, the, in the Oval Office in a very long time. <laughs> Not that that confidence has to be grounded in anything. People don't yeah. care. Yeah. They know it's not grounded in anything real, but they don't care. They just are. They want someone who is confident in leadership because it makes them feel more comfortable. And this is all coming back to comfort and avoiding the cognitive dis- dissonance. Yeah, and so in church, church, I, I've we've mentioned the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast a few times. The Mark Driscoll was a very, very, still is a very confident person. I mean, I've never heard a thing. Him, that man say a thing that is not oozing confidence. Sure, he's he he never was a member of a church before he started Mars Hill and spread it to like all fifty states or something crazy. And that's a lot of confidence. Fifty thousand members and yeah, it's, it's a it's a lot of guts. And people, he figured out what he was doing. But I mean, he's and he's a smart guy, but he he twisted and manipulated and hurt people. And they followed him because he was confident. And I, one of the little phrases in the little in the intro to that to every single episode of the podcast is a quote, a, a soundbite from somebody saying, "We have a culture of church members who would prefer a narcissist leading a church." And this is exactly the why, because we are more comfortable when someone who thinks that they've got it all together is in charge, and that's that's a scary, scary thing. Hmm. And they like. You're going to hear more uh, confirmation bias too from that kind of person. So that oh yeah, one of the best things about a narcissist or maybe a natural reason why a church could eventually either foster a narcissist or kind of create one is they're going to be confident and we're attracted to that. But our identity is tied to their identity, which is tied, which is something that they're going to be con- constantly having to elevate. Mm-hmm. And so that that makes eventually what you get is we are correct, we are doing it right, we are better than other people, and that feels good. I'm like, hey, I'm in the right spot. You're in the right spot. You know, this is and it. Don't listen to anybody else. You know, we well, don't you need know? to. You know, the yeah, yeah. Either you don't need to, or it's dangerous. Right. Yeah. So the next one is conformity bias. That's kind of it's almost impossible to see when our community doesn't can't or won't see it. Because we are driven, and th- th- this could also be under the realm of groupthink a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so conformity bias is all about the pressure to conform. And not th- just the pressure, I should say, but it's also around the idea that if something is happening that is wrong, let's go back to the Mark Driscoll situation. If he's, it, Mark Driscoll is of, often very verbally abusive to people making fun of them, really mean, in like in front of everybody else. Yeah. If everybody around me feels like that that's okay, or if I think the people around me think it's okay, then I'm going to go along with, I'm not going to notice it necessarily. Wow. I'm going to laugh and think, oh, that's a funny joke. He's being so funny. Ha ha. But we can be convinced of an idea or be convinced to ignore an idea or a thing that's happening because the group is okay with it. Yeah. That's really strong. Yeah. 
that I've, I've worked in places where I'm the new employee. Suddenly the boss is screaming at somebody. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you do is you look around. Like, and if everyone else is just like typing away, which is what happened in, in my case, it's like, oh, this is just, I guess this is work. You know, this is what it's like to work. Yeah. And if you are in that kind of situation and you start to have differing thoughts, you can have two choices. You can either speak up and, and then cause a disturbance in the group, and then you'd be seen as a threat and possibly shunned or kicked out. Or you can keep your view sacred, secret and then end up emotionally and mentally drained and beaten down because you've got this different belief and it's it, that's a lot of stress. I mean, I, I know from experience, <laughs> recent experience, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to eventually lead you either to change your beliefs back to what the group thinks or to leave that group. And I think this is where a lot of deconstruction people going through deconstruction were kind of the breaking point is they have lived in this conformity bias world, like not literally not even seeing things. Like I, I grew up in a church where women were not allowed to speak. And it wasn't till about a year and a half, two years ago, talking to my wife that she was explaining like how that made her feel. And I'm like, how did I not see that? I mean, my entire 45 years before that, I'd been around churches where women were not allowed to speak and were treated as less than, and it never clicked with me that that was going on. Wow. Because everybody thought it was okay. It was, it was the right thing to do. But then she's taught with weeping to me about this. Like, I'm like, first of all, have we never had this conversation before? When I realized it, it just, it was a huge shock to my brain and my system. And I, I had to, I had to do something about it. And so then in that moment, now you return and you can't not see it now. You, you didn't see it before because of conformity bias, but now you do see it. Yeah. And then now you're looking at people who can't see a thing that you can see. Right. Which is what a lot of political stuff feels like or, or religious stuff feels like recently is like how can you not see this or like man how why are we okay with this um and unfortunately like a lot of people who are deconstructing the like the only choice they're given is to to remove themselves yeah and so what's left is the group that continues to be uniform or continues yeah. to maybe not see that right it's it's like it, it's gonna you boil out and what's left is just concentrated what was there before, you know? Absolutely. Because when you are in it, you just can't see what's going on. And often it's an experience, like me talking to Christy. It's an experience that will jolt you out of something. Or with um, often when I talk to folks who have family members who are in the LGBTQ community, they hadn't thought about it. It wasn't even an issue until their son came out to them or whatever. Yeah. And suddenly they have, they have to really quickly shift perspectives and figure out what's really going on here. What am I going to believe? And so if it, you can't make an entire congregation have an experience to shock them out of not seeing what they have always, what has always been there. And to, to have your eyes opened, I think is, is a very, it's a, 
it's a great thing. And I'm thankful for the times that I have had my eyes opened. And I've said before how I, I love to hear, I love to find out that I've been wrong because when I find out that I've truly been wrong is when I actually learn. Yeah, I, f- I feel like one of these things that makes you blind to seeing that, right? That, like you, you cannot go down that path and you can't stumble on change or, or learning or, you know, a group blind spot. And something that I feel like it sometimes takes that deep emotional impact to a group for that. And I, I think the best example I've seen of this are the child loss awareness uh, license plates. Have you have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? No. There's a, I don't know if it's just Colorado, but there's like a custom license plate you can get that's just child loss awareness. That's all it says. Hmm. And the implication is this is maybe someone who lost a, like their a child died, right? Hmm. Yeah. And what will happen to me for a, embarrassingly short amount of time but is i see the world through the eyes of someone who has lost a child maybe for 30 minutes Mm. and what i see is oh my goodness how hard this thing would be to see or oh this thing that i talk about all the time how hard would that be if 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 it was me in that situation and it's it's just a little poke to to like oh man you know just because we all have this shared blindness doesn't mean we, we shouldn't occasionally think about the people who are not having the same experience as the rest of us when we talk about the holidays or when we talk about, yeah. you know, whatever that is. I was also thinking about how, I, you know, we've, I've spent some time with homeless groups here in town. Before I got to, before I met some of these people who are living on the streets, basically, I didn't notice them as much. I mean, you see the guy in the corner, and you're like, ah, guy much wants beer money or whatever. Yeah. But if, and when you meet them, you start seeing them more often and seeing them as people and understanding. I mean, I can't empathize with their situation because I've never been homeless. But I mean, knowing that person, it's like and now my eyes are open. I see the thing now. Mm-hmm. I, they're not the person that I just wish wasn't there anymore. I see that they're a human being and they need help and they need attention in some way. Homeless. This is a tiny tangent, but homelessness is one example of a extremely dehumanizing um, situation. Yeah. It works both ways. So people who are homeless start to feel invisible and kind of even act like react to their new reality, which is a mm-hmm. extremely lowered status. And then people who aren't homeless, like, yeah, the, the filter is there that you, you often won't even notice that person mm-hmm. and it, it feeds back. So that person is used to you not noticing them and, and has a lowered self uh, worth and, and state. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting. A thing about Jesus was the stopping and the noticing Mm. the whole story's momentum is to not stop and to not notice a thing. Like the um, woman who touched his cloak, right? Like, yeah. There's just, uh, there are multiple stories of Jesus noticing the person who he should not have noticed because nobody else was noticing them, but something else bigger was going on. Someone more important was saying something. Mm-hmm. 
And so that we have an example of what does a life look like who that breaks down some of those filters and challenges some of those conformities or looks through some of those things that our, our brains have wired us to ignore. Yep. hundred percent. So the next one's the last one about that. I kind of classed as things that the churches struggle with. And then the last two are kind of deconstruction related. So the last one is uh, church wise is I've noticed that when talking to people who are, have not left our church or our church tradition or others who have been like others that I observe like on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, who have gone through situations like this, it's kind of the last ditch effort to say your new beliefs are wrong is to say, this is how we've always done this. And that's the appeal to history fallacy. And the fact that that's the the fallacy that actions, behaviors, and policies are acceptable because they've always been acceptable. And like I said this in a podcast many months ago, just because something has been done a long time doesn't make it right. It just makes it historical. Mm -hmm. And just things like in, in America, the fact that the president has always been a man we assume that president always has to be a man and it's a man's job where it's not the case. Um, but with churches that's used for almost everything. And that's the, the lot, it's like I said, it was kind of the last ditch effort of people that I've talked to, especially when it comes to LGBTQ stuff is you're going against thousands of years of orthodoxy. Well, I don't really care about orthodoxy. I just want to know what's right. So if we if we assume that just because we've always done it that it's right, that's completely wrong. Truth is, it, things should be right the sin on their own, not because they've been done a long time. I think a hard the hardest part about that for me is, I'll say the subset of that is continuity. Like it's hard to see the things that we've always done and that we're still currently doing mm-hmm. from from an outside perspective, but it's really easy for us to see the things that we've always done, but then we've recently changed like mm-hmm. slavery, you know, yeah. Christian acceptance of slavery in the U S yeah. or uh, segregation, right? It's, that's something that while we were having those arguments, the appeal to history made the most sense. Yeah. But now that seems ludicrous to us. Mm-hmm. But the problem is it's it's only visible in hindsight. Like yeah. right now, the stuff that we're still doing or, you know, that whatever that is, uh, whether it's in our society, um, I don't know, incarceration. It's, it's acceptable for us to lock people away for a large portion of their time for right. sometimes small crimes that could one day seem just barbaric to us that that was our solution was time out, but forever. Mm-hmm. But it just seems normal because it's, it's not just historical, but it's also, it's both. It's like conformity bias plus historical, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that the appeal to history fallacy, the things that like we've always done it this way, they are phrases meant to encapsulate lots of it, like as a shorthand for lots of, uh, like 
the fact that we've done it this way proves that I'm sure lots of people have thought it through. It's time tested and tried, all that kind of thing. But you can't, I mean, that's why it's a logical fallacy. You can't logically say that just the length of something existing makes it okay. Right. And we often are pushed to accept that, especially in traditional type of uh, uh, environments like churches where there's lots of tradition, just being told that it's been done that way a long time is enough for some people. But I'm my, my, what I'm trying to say is it shouldn't be enough. The Jesus' example is you have heard it said, but I say to you, yep. right? So that I'm you know, telling you a new thing is challenging. They're like, wait a minute, but we've all, always done it this way. Mm-hmm. One of the problems is like... All, you know, the reasons things survive for a long time is often because they're very useful or maybe they are correct or maybe they, there are reasons that some beliefs or um, structures or whatever survive. And the yeah. problem is those reasons aren't all good reasons. Right. So there the might existence, be good reasons. Yeah, the existence of a tree could mean it's the, it is the most suited for this area. If it's 200 years old, that means this about it. But that reasoning shouldn't ever stand on its own. Right. It could be like, well, yeah, that's the reason I haven't questioned this is it's been going on for a long time. So I, I'll put a lot of trust in that side of things. But I don't think it should be slamming the door for therefore, therefore, it's not worth looking at that. Or therefore, we couldn't yeah. have been wrong about that for that long. Because humans have been wrong about some pretty important things for a long time. Yeah, or maybe it's all wrapped up in wrapped up in confidence bias because we have maybe the the way we've been doing that thing for all that long is that it's been benefiting the the authorities yeah. and they're getting something out of it and therefore we're going along with that because we've always done it but it really is just because somebody's making money off of us because yeah. they're confident and we believe them. Like worldwide you know? acceptance of slavery is like mostly if if the world ended now it'd be like hundred percent of us or uh, American man. I keep human. I assume there are humans that aren't Americans, but I, I don't know. <laughs> um, like the human condition is one of exploiting other humans yeah. as just part of our normal society. Not that I'm a Marxist or anything, but I, I could be convinced pretty easily to be right. <laughs> the like our, but our capacity to accept that exploitation is is boundless. Yep. And it's just what's happening around us and it's normal, right? And it's, I think about this all the time when I like stay late at work and there's a cleaning lady there and I'm like, Mm. how much are they paying that cleaning lady? Yeah. Because I bet it's not the same that I'm making. But we both have to eat and sleep and have families and, you know. And she's um, the one who goes to work at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Yeah, she works till four. works all night, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's, of course, I worked hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, she's, wor- <laughs> she is, you know, like we're, we're just used to like that. Yeah, that's how things fall. And it's her fault and, and my fault, right? And that's, mm-hmm. we should be okay with that. And uh, sometimes I think it's good to say like, is this, is that actually, is that just? Mm. And the answer could be yes. Uh that we've always done this this way and it's a very good useful thing but um i don't think it should be the end of a question 
So the second to last one is um, it's for people. This this is intended for people who are on the deconstruction journey and who are having a hard time giving up on some things that they probably should move on from uh, because they know that they should. It's the sunk cost fallacy. This one's mm. a pretty well-known one. In oh, the world. man. Um, or otherwise known as the I've invested so much time in this church fallacy. Yeah. This one's hitting close to home. Yeah, it's justifying the increased investment in a decision based upon the cumulative prior investment, despite new evidence suggesting that the decision was probably wrong. So I've spent so much time on this, I can't stop now. I mean, this is this is one that's really hard for humans, just like our brains don't work this way. Yes. So this is why, like the one of the maybe most common ways this hurts us is when we go to Las Vegas, as we all do. Just kidding. I'm not, I hate Las Vegas. But <laughs> I do too. I'm using this example, even though I don't actually identify with it. And you put the coins in the slot machine or you bet on the things that you do. You can't do magic tricks there. They don't like that. <laughs> um, and what you think is, if I have spent a uh, hundred minutes putting coins into this machine, I should put one more coin in. Mm-hmm. Even though those 100 coins did not buy you any improved chance of winning something. Right. It's still a very bad idea to put that coin in. But, you know, you could even get in a fight because you've been sitting in the one slot machine and you get up and someone else sits there and you're like, wait a minute, I have sunk a lot of cost into that machine. And you feel like that if you leave, you're going to lose those hundred coins. Yeah. Not just the one. Right. What you're actually doing is saving your one coin. But what it feels like you're doing is sacrificing all, all those. And man, what I, I think about like, man, if the elders called me from the church or like, maybe I just show up and volunteer to teach class, you know, like <laughs> I w- I want to sink more cost into a a place that I know, you know, it's not welcome, but also it's not going to be fruitful for anybody. I'm not going to, nobody's going to have a fun time if, if I'm ever allowed to do (laughs) communion again, (laughs) that's a, that's both a, that's a threat and a promise. Um, no one's yeah, having so a good time, but you feel like if you walk away from that slot machine that you're losing the hundred coins, but in reality you've already lost the hundred coins. They're yeah. they're gone. That, they're gone. And at that church, the time is gone. The money that you put in, the effort you spent, it's it's in the past. Man, putting more into something that's broken is not going to fix it. And so, if the right choice is to move on. You know, the phrase you've heard before, don't cling to a mistake just because you spent a long time making it. That's hard. Yeah, it it is because we we have this feeling in our deep in our soul that if I walk away from a thing, then I have wasted the time that I'm there and I've lost all of that information and all that time and all that effort. And I felt, I guess, like you were saying, I felt that hardcore when we left our church because... I had put so much of my life into that church and I felt like walking away from it was giving up or losing, but moving, I got to the point where Christy and I both realized that 
continually pushing on this thing that's not moving is just wearing us out and it's not helping anything. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not telling people that you have to leave the church you're at. I'm just saying, try to evaluate like all of these things we've talked about before, all these biases, forget where you are. And are you staying just because you've always been there? Yeah. Or just, yeah. I mean, and for me, it's more like the, the people who just dwell on the sunk cost part of it. Yeah. Like, you know, the, I'm not investing the new stuff, but it's, it's hard not to think about, oh man, the years or, or whatever, or effort, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you can look at those things positively. I mean, you probably made a lot of difference. I know I made a lot of difference in people's lives when I was there. That's one reason people were sad that I left. But the those are not in the trash. They're just, I'm just moving on. There's a this. I think a part of this too is that, like one of the evolutionary reasons or survival reasons why this is a thing, is that uh, pain registers more than pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like we are more taught to avoid the the pain loss aversion. Thing, yeah. So what could be happening is you've sunk a cost, but you've got a reward that's equal or better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the loss, you know, if, if someone was like, hey, I'm going to take your car, but give you a much better car, we're going to do a bad job of evaluating how much the loss is compared to how much the gain is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on how do I not lose, but also that loss just reverberates more than the gain. Yep. Yeah. So this last one is survivorship bias. And this is directed at churches who have lost people to deconstruction. Interesting. Um, and this is, I re- re- rephrase this one, the you left because you're broken bias. The survivorship bias is the phenomena of concentrating on those who survived the thing instead of those who did not as evidence of what works best. This is how every, like every superstition ever has, has come about in my opinion, but what's the, what's yeah, it the could example? Be. So classic example. I think this is in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books. I forget which one, maybe a podcast. Um, some bombers in world war two. I, th- I think it was the German theater. You know, you know the story? I think so. It's, is it about evaluating where bullets are in a fuselage? Yeah. So these bombers would go out to do their bombing runs and some would get shot down, some would not get shot down. And so they would fly, they'd come back, the ones that made it did not get shot down, came back to the, the base. And they would, they, they would look at like where all the bullets were. And they're like, oh, we got to put more armor on that section of the plane. So they started doing that and, and it wasn't helping. And somebody came in and realized, this is like a statistician named Abraham something, I forgot the guy's name. He came in and said, okay, let's track where these bullets are hitting. And so he started like tracking on like a, a diagram where the bullets were hitting. Like if the plane came back al- alive, they'd track where those bullets were. And he's like, what you need to do is not put armor where the bullets are because those are proof that you can get hit there and still survive. Right. What we need to do is put more armor where the, where bullets, the bullets aren't. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because... That is where the planes who didn't come back got hit. 
Right. So if we want to make sure that these extra sure that these are going to survive next time, let's beef up the areas that the bolts are not hitting. And oh, it seems man. counterintuitive. So where the where this where I'm coming from with talking to church leaders yeah. is people deconstructing, leaving churches, leaving denominations, whatever. The tendency is to think, not to think what what went wrong with them. Why did, like, uh, they're gone, forget them, but, like, the people here, well, they must be staying here because there's lots of good Bible teaching. So let's double down on the Bible teaching, or let's double down on the being extra right about stuff. I mean, whatever it is. Yeah, it would happen if if you had, you know, COVID-impacted churches dramatically in the U.S. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the equivalent of if you polled the people who are left— about what is most important to them or what they like the most or what they don't like the most who are in your church right now. Yep. You are looking at where the bullets hit the planes that survived. That's a, that's a better example. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what you're going to hear and you're not going to do a poll cause that's weird and, and anti-biblical Jesus didn't poll people. Um, uh, he, so what's actually going to happen is you're going to get compliments. Compliments are the bullets in the fuselage in this example. Mm-hmm. So yep. what's going to happen is you're going to be complimented about, oh, I'm so glad that you had that strong teaching about X or mm-hmm. we, what we love about this church is that we don't apply, you know, conform to the X. And so that's, that's what's happening is survivorship. What you're not hearing is maybe more important than what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. And not that the people who left have like more access to the truth, but especially if you have a church that it has changed demographic, like a, a lot of new people uh, yeah. with people leaving or, or just people left. Right. And you've concentrated the group. That's when that story needs to be sent in, in pamphlets to every, every church leader, because it's, what you're going to hear is we're doing everything correct. Right. Because the people who are left are the people who are either agree with you hundred percent or don't mind the stuff that was painful. Yeah. So in the plane analogy, if the people who left are the ones who got shot down, right. You need to go find those planes and figure out what happened. Yeah. Instead of sitting in your, in your, in your hangar, looking at the planes that are there and, reinforcing the stuff you're already doing because that's not helping anything and it's not changing anything and nothing's going to, nothing's going to be different. But unfortunately I I feel like, you know, back to way back to uh, confirmation bias, people who need to hear that are not listening to this podcast. Yeah. People who are listening to this podcast are either rethinking their faith or they're, Beyond that, or people listening to this podcast are not ones who are doing the opposite of what we're talking about, which is kind of, I mean, there's probably some people a little bit on, on the line. And that this, another reason that like all, all of these things together are why toxic environments persist and why um, we are in such a, in my mind, a, a, scary scary situation in this country where we're putting ourselves into echo chambers 
ignoring everything else that comes in as dangerous, only talking to people who believe what we believe, staying because we feel like we have to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the problem with churches is the same problem we have with uh, politics in this country right now and the, the divides that we have. The only solution, I think you nailed it right at the beginning of this whole discussion, was expanding your your view of things, getting to know some differences, getting to know different people along in different areas. And hopefully that'll that'll do something. With an intention, I think a, a common theme is intentionality. So knowing yeah, these true. things are going to happen on accident to good people, mm-hmm. what it takes is an intention. What I think Jesus did, by the way, when he stopped, I, I don't think it's because he didn't have cognitive biases. I think he probably did because I think he was a person yeah, with a human brain. But he had intention to stop and notice people. His yep. story about, you know, what do you do when a sheep wanders away wasn't you figure out why the 99 you know, stayed. It was you, you seek after that one. And I think what we have to do is be aware and be intentional about, okay, what, what are the mistakes that I'm going to make as I process the world? And there's too much of it to process. Yeah. And for, you know, if we could bribe church leaders just to listen to some stories of people who left, uh, with, I don't know, with curiosity or with sincerity, right. Instead of with a, you know, a view to confirm what they already believe about you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where all these articles lately are coming up about why people leave, why people are deconstructing, and they're all wrong. Because <laughs> they want to sin more, you know, because they want to look cool, you know. That's that's not it. Yeah. And that's all, these fa- these kinds of fallacies are exactly why deconstruction is so hard, so difficult. It Because you're bucking back against all of these things, all of these walls you've put up in your mind to ensure comfort and consistency and suddenly those things are gone because you've learned something you've had an experience you something has shifted in you and those things aren't those walls have fallen down and now you're exposed in the wilderness and you're you feel alone you're having a hard time but you can't go back to those walls because they've crumbled for you mhm man I, I wonder if the sunk sunk cost uh, fallacy is part of what is painful about deconstruction because mm, yeah, deconstruction yeah. is, I think, more about grief than about anything. Mm, uh, or that's right. one big, you know, big part of what what the feeling of deconstruction is about. It's about the loss of something. Yeah. If I took a moment to measure my personal experience, it is one of absolutely better experience, like deeper faith, uh, a, a direction that is of growth, and of seeking and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm thinking about the losses because they're so concrete and et cetera, that when I think about what deconstruction is, the first thing I think of is the grief and not the Mm. freedom or clarity or whatever else. And it made me think of uh, Dan who posted recency bias that, you know, we think of our lifetimes or we think of even just the last six months and think, and we extrapolate it like everything is mm. is worse than before. Um, and what he showed were graphs of the last hundred years. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, showing here's how the percentage of people who have access to I don't 
I didn't look at like it. That info closely. mortality rates and yeah, clean water, you know, yeah, literacy. Yeah. It's way and, better than it used to be, and and exponentially better. And this decade was better than last decade, and etc. But each decade, each generation experiences some kind of loss. Mm-hmm. Like oh, they didn't have the internet when I was a kid. We had to use the thesauruses, and what we've yeah. lost is this patience and the ability to you know whatever. Every generation is, loses something and focuses on what is being lost and doesn't do a good job of what's being gained. I think mm-hmm. I think deconstruction or or just this stepping into that wilderness is a is a very painful process for a lot of people, but. Um, but, but I think it's stepping towards something worthwhile, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. Well, this is a, a long one made up for lost time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. People are, uh, they've, they're hungry. We haven't, you don't have to listen to it all at one time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. I like the, uh, Spotify stuff has been coming in. So that's cool to see. Oh yeah. The, uh, Following the Fire discussion group. Right. We forgot to talk about that. Yeah. On yeah. Facebook. If you made it this far and you haven't joined <laughs> the Following the Fire discussion group, you're missing out. Yeah. So find, I'll put a link in the show notes and on our website. But if you go to Following the Fire, or sorry, if you go to facebook.com slash Following the Fire, that'll take you to the our our uh, podcast page. And there'll be a, you can find a link to the group from that, but it, you can also look, search for "following the fire" discussion group in the groups. And so, it does. I, I started this last week. Just I thought, eh, maybe we'll give this a shot. And like, in a couple of days, we've got like ninety-two members right now. I think there's lots of really good discussions talking about all kinds of stuff. It's not just about it's not about our episodes necessarily, but it's about deconstruction, kind of getting to know each other and. Um, like initially there's obviously a lot of people kind of from a church of Christ background, but we even have some Catholics and Methodists in there. So yes, yeah, we are like edgy all the, yeah. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) But yeah, thanks to all the people who have joined that so far. And there's a lot, there's, like I said, lots of good discussions. I, I, my Facebook, uh, notifications are blowing up like they hadn't Mm -hmm. before. So it's good. So, you know, feel free to yep. join. If I haven't responded to something, it's because I only open Facebook for real like once a week. Yeah, that's probably wise. And the other <laughs> the other times it's just to get the notifications to turn off. Yeah, exactly. Because Facebook anyway. is, is, a, is a program designed to exploit our cognitive biases. Oh, boy. Ugh. And make money from it. So sign up today for our... <laughs> But it's gonna be fine. But it's good. Yeah, it's, ours is good. Ours is a good one. We've always used Facebook. It's like we've always done it this way. That's what we've always done. Yeah, and everyone around me is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, it's, no it's problem. Fun. Well, thanks for the discussion, Nathan. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. We'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. All See you. these messages Bye. I thought you wanted to hear. But it only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. 
There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. <laughs>